Thank you, Julie. Thank you, ladies. Great job. Great songs. Go ahead. Get in your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I think probably everybody here at this point is aware that on Sunday nights we are working through a series in Bible doctrine on uh, what we believe and teach here and uh, why we do that. Uh, believers begin, of course, by learning what uh, is sound biblical doctrine, and then disciples who want to be wiser, disciples who want to be more mature, they also learn why uh, they believe what they believe. Uh, knowing what we believe and why we believe it keeps everything in perspective. Uh, there are some things we do here that are biblical. There are other things we do here that historically link us with uh, biblical Christians over the centuries. There are things we do here that are just a preference of this particular body of Christ. And it is so important we understand the difference. Uh, a lot of people have uh, basically compromised biblical Christianity in 2022 because things they thought were just someone's preference are actually biblical. And others have been greatly wounded because they or a church treated something that is someone's practical application like it was a key Bible doctrine. I want us to have the grace and wisdom here to know the difference. Amen? Sound doctrine gives us stability. Because of that, the Bible exhorts us to give attendance to doctrine, pay attention to it, to take heed to doctrine. The Bible warns us, and in the latter days, some would depart from the faith. The Bible also exhorts us as believers to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And so, it's so important that you and I know what the faith is, so that we can know what to contend for and what just to overlook. Now, we've spent a couple of messages recently going a bit deeper than usual on a couple of uh, hot-button subjects in Christianity. We spent a week talking about what happened to the sign gifts, and we saw how the sign gifts well, were given to confirm the Word and learned that they passed away with the death of the last apostle and the completion of the New Testament. We spent a week studying the spiritual gift of tongues. We uh, come to learn that the gift of tongues is someone speaking a earthly language that they have not learned that is understood by someone there uh, listening to them. And we just simply made note that what is going on by and large today under the umbrella of the gift of tongues has almost nothing to do with the biblical gifts of tongues. And even when that spiritual gift was active, uh, there were a lot of restrictions on how it was to be used uh, in the church, and we talked about those. And certainly the way that gift has been handled has hurt a lot of Christians and a lot of uh, churches because of it. Now tonight, we are going to transition away from doctrines that are in some way related to the Holy Spirit uh, and His ministry uh, to baptism. Now, in the Bible, don't think that every time you read the word baptism, uh, it is referring to baptism in water. That wouldn't be accurate. At times, the Bible speaks about baptism of the Spirit. At other times, the Bible speaks about uh, baptism uh, in water. And so, as always, we have to pay attention to what's going on when we are 
uh, reading the Bible and listening to someone attempt to teach us uh, the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Could you open your Bible and show someone what the Bible teaches about baptism? Now the likelihood is, as you're sitting on a Sunday night in a Baptist church, the likelihood is, is that probably everybody here knows what baptism is. Uh, I wonder how many know why. I mean, know why you get baptized by immersion after you get saved. You know why well enough that if someone asks you, you could pull out your Bible and you could show him why you believe what you believe. Uh, it is no secret that some churches sprinkle infants and call that baptism. And like many of you here, I was sprinkled as an infant in a group of uh, Christian people that sprinkled uh, infants. Uh, can being sprinkled as an infant, is that rightly biblical baptism? Some churches consider every infant who is sprinkled by their organization to be part of the family of God. Uh, in the official catechism of the Catholic Church, and I'm going to read a couple statements that it says, but please understand, you and I need to make a distinction in Roman Catholicism as an organization and Roman Catholics as people. The organization is a political organization that has proved itself corrupt over and over again throughout history. By the way, in recent history, they were not acting as a religious organization when they hid pedophiles that they knew were pedophiles. That's a political decision. But Roman Catholic people, by and large, are sincere people who have been misled and under-informed by their spiritual leaders. In the official catechism of the Catholic Church, I quote, says, by baptism, all sins are forgiven. Original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. Uh, The same official catechism says in another section, and I quote, the church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism. In another section of that, official catechism, it says this, and I quote, baptism not only purifies from all sins, but also makes the neophyte a new creature, an adopted son of God, who has become partaker of the divine nature, a member of Christ, and co-heir with him, and a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible really teach that every infant sprinkled in the Catholic church to be an adopted son of God in the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, By the way, for those of you who pay any attention to history, that would mean that Adolf Hitler was the temple of the Holy Spirit. He was sprinkled as a Catholic, as an infant, and because they're a political organization, they never kicked him out. It's just history. Don't be angry at me. Some churches, like the Church of Christ, tell us that baptism is essential for salvation. They tell us that no one has eternal life without immersion after believing on Christ. Is baptism by immersion, is it essential for eternal life like they say it is? 
Some churches tell us that it doesn't really matter what mode of baptism is used. If you want to baptize by immersion, fine. Pourings, fine. Uh, sprinklings, all fine. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible teach a mode for baptism? Now, if you'd like, uh, if you become a student of uh, church history, one of the three, there are three key doctrines that biblical Christians, our Baptist forefathers, were most severely persecuted for. Uh, the first of those is the fact that the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, not an organization or a government or the Pope. Millions of people died for that. The second one of those is what is the mode and meaning of baptism? And we're going to address that tonight. And in fact, if you haven't, maybe you should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. One of the things you'll learn reading that book is that there were a lot of Christian people, they died for the meaning of the Lord's Supper. We'll address that, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But I do think it's very valuable for you and I to understand, listen, you and I are not part of something that started in America in 1980. We are a link and an ancient chain that goes back to the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years. And so there's something to be said for what our forefathers and foremothers held so dearly that they were willing to suffer the loss of all their property, the loss of their employment, and the loss of everything they had to be jailed and very often lose their life for. I think it's important we ought to understand what those things were. And the doctrine of biblical baptism mattered greatly to them. And they paid a great personal price to stand biblically on this issue. Now in 2022 in America, we are constantly being fed this idea that, well, it's not essential to salvation, therefore it doesn't matter, so don't even bother talking about it. Listen, uh, I agree, it isn't essential for salvation, but this is an important biblical doctrine. It is a key doctrine in the Scripture. What is biblical baptism? What does it mean to be baptized? What is the significance of baptism? And that's the simple title of our lesson tonight. What is biblical baptism? Stand tonight if you are able to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. You should be in your Bible in Luke chapter 6. And I went ahead and... Or in Luke chapter 7. Go up one more chapter. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 7 all the way near the end of the chapter of Luke chapter 7 and verse 44. It says, And he, as Jesus, turned to the woman and, and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he saith unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say with themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Thank you. Might be seated. Sometimes, in order to understand what something is, we must first learn and be well established in what it is not. 
You see, it was not this woman's public act of humility that saved her. It was her faith. Jesus very clearly said that. And you ought to highlight or underline that in your Bible. That's a key, that's a key doctrinal statement in verse 50 where Jesus said to her, Thy faith hath saved thee. Past tense, on the basis of faith. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. See, real faith always produces works in some way. Uh, by the way, I'm always concerned when someone says they have faith in Jesus Christ, but they do not have any works in their life that are specifically linked with following Jesus. I didn't say they're not saved. Uh, we know people by their fruits. God knows them by their heart. I just said, I'm always concerned when I don't see any fruit in the life of someone who says they're a follower of Jesus. This woman's faith moved her to crouch at Jesus' feet and face the criticism of the Pharisee in whose house they were entered. Her faith moved her to weep at Jesus' feet and have her tears fall upon his feet. Her faith moved her to anoint Jesus' feet with ointment. Her faith moved her to wipe his dirty feet with her own hair. His fa her faith moved her to kiss Jesus' dirty feet. You see, even before Christ's crucifixion and death and resurrection, it was faith that saved people. It has always been faith that saved people. Uh, read Hebrews chapter 11. It says, these all died in faith. By faith they did everything they did. Now the object of faith has changed as time has gone on, and today in the full light of the New Testament, our faith is in the finished work of the Messiah Jesus and in his resurrection. In Abel's day, it was faith that God said, hey listen, uh, if you want peace with me, offer a lamb as a sacrifice. And you, if you had faith in God, like Abel did, you did what God said. If you had no faith in God, like Cain didn't, you did something else. It has always been faith that saved. You may disagree with this, but I think the three clearest doctrines of the New Testament are these. Number one, the Bible is the Word of God to be taken literally in its historical context. Number two, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, he was God manifest in the flesh and the only Savior of the world. And the third key doctrine I think that is so clear through all the New Testament is salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Humble faith in Jesus as He is presented in the Bible plus nothing else. There is That being so, there is no salvation in the baptistry of any church or denomination, including this one. Salvation is by faith alone. Turn up to Luke 23. See, so is this going to be one of them nights we turn to a lot of verses? Yep. Hey, we're, we're learning Bible doctrine. I, I would love to uh, just cut loose and... and preach that uh, this or that is not stuff we're supposed to be doing, but that's not what we're doing right now. We're, we're learning Bible doctrine. Uh, notice in Luke 23, verse 42, uh, he said unto the Lord, that's the thief on the cross, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. By the way, that's a statement of faith. In verse 39, the other thief said, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. That's a statement of no faith. 
The second thief had faith. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. Notice what Jesus said. Verily I say unto thee, today uh, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Uh, Faith of the humble thief in Christ with no opportunity to be baptized saved him. Go up to John chapter 4. It should be just a few pages ahead. Or behind, depending on how you look at the direction of travel. In John chapter 4, this is an interesting statement. Verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Did you notice that? (laughs) Jesus never personally baptized anybody. Have you ever really thought about that? If, if baptism in some way is a part of salvation, what that means is Jesus never saved anybody. I mean, isn't that a silly statement? But he's a Savior. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, of course, was the likely the greatest missionary in all of history. Only heaven will reveal just how many people he won to Christ, just how many church leaders he planted, uh, church leaders he trained, how many churches he planted. Uh, Who knows how many hundreds of thousands and maybe even millions of people were saved as a direct result of his ministry. Notice the interesting statement he's going to make about baptism and his involvement in it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I'd baptized in mine own name. And, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I mean, imagine somebody who actually believed that salvation was in part linked to your baptism saying, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Listen, Romans 10, 13 is very clear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not calling on the Lord plus this or plus that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is very clear. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, salvation is not the wage or the reward of our works. It is a gift. Titus 3, 5 is very clear. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Listen, it is not a righteous work like baptism that saves anyone. It is the mercy of God. See, so the first thing we know about baptism, hear me, is that it has nothing to do with salvation. By the way, this is a very important starting point because it lets us know how not to interpret any verse that speaks about baptism that seems to say it's linked to salvation. That's very important. There are hundreds of New Testament verses and Bible principles that teach us that salvation is the gift of God. It is by grace. It is by the mercy of God. It is linked to our faith in Christ. Hundreds of verses. We do not discard something that is clearly told us hundreds of times 
for something less clear. Uh, did you know that between the book of Acts and Revelation, grace is mentioned 126 times, faith 216 times, believe 132 times, and some form of Christian baptism only 35 times. That means more than 13 to 1, the New Testament emphasizes grace, believing, and faith over baptism. That's a huge deal. There is no emphasis on baptism compared to grace and believing and faith in the New Testament. By the way, you and I ought to be glad that baptism is not a part of salvation. Because most people who call themselves Christian and many people who are genuine Christians do not have a biblical baptism. They were sprinkled. Listen, if baptism was required for salvation, the implication of that is that there would be no such thing as a saved Catholic, a saved Methodist, a saved Presbyterian, or a saved Lutheran. And I want to just tell you, that's ridiculous. There have been incredibly great and greatly used of God missionaries over the course of the centuries who were Methodists and uh, Presbyterians who God greatly used, who, according to that bad definition, that immersion is required for salvation, those people weren't even saved. It's ridiculous. By the way, thank God that any person from any group who humbly repents of their sins to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him as Savior has eternal life regardless of how or why or if they were baptized. But hear me when I say just because baptism is not a part of salvation does not mean it does not matter or is not important. It is important, just not for salvation. Which gets us to our question tonight, what is biblical baptism? We saw how it not being a part of salvation fits exactly with what we learned now several months ago when we talked about what biblical salvation is. What is biblical baptism? Please first go in your Bible to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Like I say, probably most people here, you know what? You, you believe baptisms by immersion after salvation. You're in a Baptist church. My heart's desire is not only that you would know what, but that you would know why. If I was truly successful tonight, everybody who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ could walk out of this service tonight and show everybody a verse or two about why baptism is like you see it practiced here. What is biblical baptism? Here's number one. Biblical baptism is an act of obedience to Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Peter here says, in Acts 10, 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They prayed, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Notice these Gentile believers in the house of Cornelius who had believed in the Lord Jesus, received the Holy Spirit. 
he commanded them in verse 48 to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Baptism is a command. Now, most people here are familiar with what's called the Great Commission, God's most basic instructions for his church. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's his commission. And certainly, if the church is commissioned to baptize, commanded to baptize, then believers are commanded to be baptized. And here, we're specifically told that baptism is a commandment. Obeying Jesus in baptism is one of a new believer's first opportunities to show that something's different in their life. The first reason to be baptized is to obey Christ and the teaching of the New Testament. Go next, please, to Matthew chapter 3. What is biblical baptism? Just teaching the Bible. Those of you who are interested... This is an interesting lesson. For those of you who just are doing your time tonight, this won't be that pleasant for you. Here's number two. Biblical baptism is a part of following the example of Jesus. Biblical baptism is a part of following the example of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13 says when uh, that's not chapter 2, I'm sorry. 3.13 says, uh, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized. By the way, if he came there from Nazareth, he went about 60 miles to do this. Verse 14, But John forbade him, says, Hey, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Uh, It's the righteous thing to do. It's a righteous thing for me to do to be baptized. It's the righteous thing for you to do to baptize because God sent you to do that. Verse 16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightly out of the water. By the way, notice, he went into the water to be baptized. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Part of the first desires of a true Christian when you get saved is to be like Jesus. Uh, The world doesn't care really whether they're like Jesus. But when Christ comes in your life, you have some kind of a desire to be like Jesus. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist because it was a righteous thing to do. His public baptism began his public ministry. By the way, Jesus wasn't being baptized as a part of his salvation. He never sinned. He didn't need to be saved. Jesus wasn't being baptized as a sign of his repentance. That was what John's baptism was about. It was a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't have anything he needed to repent from. Jesus was not being baptized to picture his own death, burial, and resurrection. That hadn't happened yet. He was baptized to confirm the ministry of John the Baptist. He was baptized to identify himself with John and the message John preached In his baptism, Jesus was in effect saying, I agree with John and what he's doing. He was also baptized to be an example to those who chose to follow him. Baptism identifies us with Christ. Now, there's no baptism in the Old Testament. The first time 
baptism enters the plan of God is when John the Baptist stood in the wilderness crying out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second reason we get baptized is to follow Christ's example and publicly identify with Christ and Bible Baptist Church in our message. Just like Jesus, by his example, identified with John and John's message. Go in your Bible to Acts chapter 8. What is biblical baptism? Here's number three. Biblical baptism is by immersion. In Acts chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, And he uh, commanded the chariot to stand still. That's the Ethiopian eunuch. And they went down both, notice, into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Notice, in baptism, you go down into the water, and you come up out of the water. Uh, I remember one of the children's Bibles that we had uh, when our kids were little, and they had Jesus and John the Baptist in the river, and John the Baptist had a clamshell pouring water on Jesus. That's called an unbiblical picture. The word baptize, it's a transliterated word, which means it's the same word in the original New Testament language as it is in, in English. It means to immerse. Many of us here have or use a Strong's Concordance. Uh, I have one. I use one. Uh, he died in 1890-something. He was actually a Methodist professor. Uh, Methodists in general sprinkle infants. But Strong was honest enough as a Methodist writing his concordance. If you look in the definitions in his concordance, it will say to immerse. The word means immerse. Uh, by the way, there would be no sense in John chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, and John was baptizing also in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. Listen, if baptism is ever by sprinkling, you don't need much water. You just need a clamshell full. But if baptism is by immersion, then you've got to have enough water to get somebody immersed all the way under the water. Immersion pictures the death and burial of Christ when you go under the water and His resurrection when you come up out of the water, a picture that can only be made by Immersion, we'll see that in just a moment. So when it comes to the mode of baptism, the meaning of the word and every biblical example is by immersion. No organization and no spiritual leader of any sort has any business changing the mode of baptism. For baptism to be valid in God's eyes, it must be by immersion as a symbol. It is not part of salvation. Anything called baptism that is not by immersion, that is more than a symbol, or that is part of salvation, is not biblical baptism. Here's number four. Biblical baptism must follow a personal confession of Jesus Christ. By the way, if I was going to show somebody what Bible baptism is, 
the first place I would go would be Acts chapter 8. I mean, once you establish with them that uh, it's not a part of salvation because of what salvation is, the next place I would go is Acts chapter 8. And by the way, if you have another version of the Bible, you're not going to be able to take them to Acts chapter 8 and do this. And anybody that tells you that all these other Bible versions are the same, it's just easier to understand. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 35. says, Then Philip opened his mouth, began at the same Scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, I've got that question highlighted in my Bible because that's a key question. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, if you have a Bible other than the King James Bible, verse 37 is not in your Bible. Verse 37 is Philip's answer to that key question. In verse 37, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice the answer to the question, what hinders me to be baptized? You must believe with all your heart, and you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can, infant, can an infant believe with all their heart? Absolutely not. Can, can you be baptized in Jesus as a great prophet? No. Have you ever noticed when we baptize somebody here, I always ask them, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The reason I ask them that question is this Bible verse. Bible baptism follows a personal confession of Jesus Christ. A valid candidate must personally confess Christ before they are immersed. Uh, go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, in, in verse 41. This is the reason. Be, because baptism follows a personal confession of Christ, this is the reason that people had to gladly receive Peter's message prior to their baptism. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Listen, you are not a valid candidate for baptism until you believe the message. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only Savior. He is the only way to have forgiveness. He is the only way to have eternal life. He is the Son of God. Now, our name as a Baptist church originated from this practice of baptism. And in particular, as early as the third century, people were called Anabaptists, which means rebaptizers. Prior to that, because in biblical days, baptism was always by immersion, and baptism was never a part of salvation, it was not an issue. But as time went on, people changed the meaning of baptism, and when they began to teach that baptism was a part of salvation, people started asking, well, what about infants? And so they changed the mode. In fact, you can go ahead and Google baptistries of ancient churches, and you will find ancient Roman Catholic churches that had a cross-shaped pool where they immersed people. We were originally called Anabaptists, rebaptizers, because we refused to accept the sprinkling or baptisms 
of other groups. By the way, that's one of the reasons we were hated. Because when you say, no, I will not accept your baptism, what you're in effect saying is what you're doing is not valid in my sight. Now, I do not personally believe baptism must be done by a Baptist to be a valid baptism to God, though some do believe that. I believe for our baptism to be valid to God, our baptism must, number one, be done at the right time, following a personal profession of faith. In order for our baptism to be valid to God, it must, number two, be done for the right motive, a symbolic act picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen, if your motive or the motive of the person immersing you was anything other than a symbol, it's not a valid baptism. If you were baptized to be saved, if you were baptized to receive the Spirit of God, if you were baptized to get the spiritual gift of tongues, if you were baptized for any reason other than obedience to Christ as a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus after you were saved, it's not a valid baptism. In order for a baptism to be valid to God, it must be done with the right mode. Immersion is the only way to picture Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Now here at Bible Baptist Church, we require a Baptist baptism. And by the way, for centuries, all Baptist churches did that. All of them. Now in recent days, that's not been so. And when we, if the Lord tarries, start talking about the church, one of the things we'll learn is that each local church controlled their own membership. And so if a local church wants to decide that, hey, you need to take a 12-week membership class to join here, they can do that. If you uh, won't sign this covenant saying that you believe all these key things in our doctrine and agree to keep the Constitution and not drink alcohol and tithe, which some churches do, they have the authority to do that. We don't do that here. What we do here is just like in Acts chapter 2, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ and you have a valid baptism, you can be a member here. You say, well, Brother Wally, why, if you don't believe that uh, you have to be baptized by a Baptist uh, to be valid to God, why do you do that? Very simply, to keep peace. Listen, I'm not going to sit and judge every person from another group of whether their baptism was valid or not. You know, some person comes from a church of God and that particular branch of the church of God taught that in order to receive the Spirit and the gift of tongues, you had to be baptized. That's not a valid baptism. Somebody else went to a church of God with a different pastor and their pastor didn't teach that. I'm not going to cause all that division here where you sit there and say, well, you made me be baptized, but you didn't make them. It's just a peacekeeping means. Just to keep peace. I'm not going to sit, by the way, we won't take a free will Baptist baptism because they reject eternal security. And part of the purpose of baptism is you identify with the church and you identify with Christ and you identify with a doctrine. And eternal security is a key doctrine of the New Testament. Say, well, how many free will Baptists have joined? I don't know. None that I remember. By the way, we have had some come here they wouldn't want, they didn't want to be rebaptized. 
said, you're driving people away. No, I'm keeping peace. Hey, listen, uh, if you've been here any length of time, you know this. I never set out to build a big church. You never hear me talk about that. I set out 16 years ago to be faithful and to give 100% of how God has gifted me to the task He's called me to. And I'm fine and have always been fine whether that produces 80 people or 800. I am here to produce the right sort of work, not the right size of work. And if someone comes here from another group and they don't want to submit to the authority of this church and its leadership, why in the world do we want them as a member? Are you so concerned about having more people that you, you don't care that we have no unity? Did you ever notice early in the book of Acts, they're of one mind, one heart. And I get it, that doesn't mean we need to agree on every jot and tittle. But listen, when it comes to the key issues of, of Scripture, there is one trumpet sound from this pulpit and from every Sunday school teacher and from every one of our children's classes. And I'm out of time, so I'll just be done. I, I would love to spend some more time and talking about why it's a symbol and how the Bible calls it a figure and all those sorts of things, but I think I got enough said. If you'd quietly stand tonight.